Hey everybody, the con artist here. It's time for Kickstarter part two. Uh, so business, business, business. Let's let's jump right into it. So uh, I think what we want to start with is how we feel about games, anime, and anything else you guys would like to talk about being funded on Kickstarter. And as we discussed in part one, Scott, I'm kind of looking forward to, I think you had told us offline you've got some numbers and stuff. I, uh, I do. I'm really intrigued. Good stuff coming up. I'm excited because... For me, just a prompt, I I always felt like at a certain point, Kickstarter really didn't have my back. Ha ha ha, backers. Hmm. Um, hmm. It, it just felt like I was, you know, th- you had to throw money in on faith. And if you believed the person who put the little video or description up for their Kickstarter and you got duped, it, it felt like there was absolutely no protection. So that really threw me off with Kickstarter because... Um, I mean, obviously, I think of myself as a smart consumer, but I, I think it's fairly easy to, to dupe somebody or get someone excited about a project and then completely just bail with all of their money or have, you know, false promises coming in updates that never manifest as, as anything. So, mm, Yeah, I can see that uh, just from how some of these things have gone. Uh, so actually, it kind of leads into a kind of a discussion slash question I wanted to ask you guys. Like, so when I look at Kickstarter... I kind of see that there's, I don't know, I'll call them like three overall types of Kickstarters. Uh, Like the basic one, like the kind of the purpose of the platform as it was envisioned, right? You're going to crowdfund something that is not otherwise going to get made. Everyone puts their money together. The thing exists now, ideally. Uh, But there's now like other uses for Kickstarter. Uh, One of them I would say is like a company wants to see if there's broad support for something, like say a dub or a new product or something, and it uses Kickstarter to get metrics. Like, hey, if you're going to vote with money, that means a lot more than clicking like. So we as a company want to use this platform to see if there's interest. And uh, the third and probably most cynical one is, you know what, there's a company out there that's already going to make something, and they just want to get some free money, minus the costs of shirts or posters or whatever you get as a backing reward. Uh how about you guys? Do you think there are other, like, those are the three I usually see. Do you see other types of Kickstarters out there? Sue, do you see ones that are just like, give me money, I want your money, I will give you nothing? Ooh, um, no, I don't. Um, hmm. No, I, I think you're probably right. I think the only other category I would say that I've seen make its way to the Kickstarter scene is... In the realms of design, I think young designers or people who have a vision for a product uh, that's kind of kind of niche. Like I've seen a ton of, say, pens, right? Like really interesting hmm. types of pens. Or I recently saw one that uh, was for sneakers that are made out of completely earth-friendly materials. Oh, yeah, cool. I think I saw that one too. Yeah, not only are they earth-friendly, like apparently the stuff they're using in the soles is made from algae, which they're actually growing to clean oceans. Like it's it's pretty neat at least from reading it. But wow. yeah, so I think there's there's this push um, for the young designers to to try and uh, make their way in that arena. That's really the only other piece. But, you know, I, I think I don't have a totally cynical view of it in that this is just a cash grab. I think I'm more concerned that 
Kickstarter as a platform doesn't offer any layers of mm. protection. I kind of wish that there was a gating system where it would be like, okay, seriously, like you haven't had an update in, in three years. Like, hey, the mandate team, refund everybody's money. That's it. You're done here. Like, I don't know. Re right. You could rebuild the, the project if you come back to us and actually explain, hey, now we have it or something like, okay, but you didn't make this. That's it. Yeah, I feel like that's why games in particular are one of the hardest things because it's all labor. Like you pay a bunch of money, a bunch of people are going to be employed by the money. And when the money runs out, if they don't have a finished product, they have nothing. Like you can't take half of a video game and use it. Oh yeah. And I've got some more specifics about that in the future, but yeah. uh but also the money's gone. Like, yeah. you know, there's nothing to refund. So that's why, like, I, I believe Kickstarter has a thing now, and I don't know what the exact requirements are, but it's along the lines of, like, you need to have a working demo of your game. You must be able to show things from your game in the engine they're intended to run in. You can't just use concept art and, like, tell us in words about your plan anymore. So, Dan, as someone in the games industry, speak to, let's say you were going to be an angel investor. OK, in, mm -hmm. in someone's project and they came to you and they said, hey, you know, we've got X, Y and Z. Tell me what X, Y and Z would have to be for you to back it. And believe that it's going to come out at, you know, as they claim it is. Mm -hmm. Well, for one thing, it'll never come out exactly as they claim it will. Uh, at the scale that most Kickstarter games are made, it's inevitable that delays are going to happen because they tend to be made by small teams and... They tend to, you know, when you have a small team, a single person gets sick and it derails the entire project for a week or a month or uh, however long that takes. And so there's just, there's very little margin for error. With a bigger studio, with a larger team, um, if you're working in AAA, you can absorb that to a degree. And even that, you know, pushes people very hard to finish, uh, to finish things on time. When you're dealing with a small group that like most of these things are, it's just it's just not feasible to hit that point. So I feel like they need to be they need to a be very realistic about their about their goals. They would need to have a very uh, strong demo that demonstrates that what they have is well designed and has legs and can be expanded is scalable. And they need to have a plan. They basically need to have their I would want to see their entire um, like workflow chart. Schedule. Yeah, their entire workflow chart development schedule for the entire period leading up to their uh, actual release and beyond at least have one kind of level of redundancy. Um, but again, I can get into a specific example of that uh, a little bit later on. But... Um, I think in general, you're right. Games are one of the hardest just because the costs that go into them are so high relative to uh, the cost of each individual unit being shipped. Well, that's, only, that's only if you even get a product done. I mean, I guess it means... Exactly, yeah. I guess that, that ties into the decision to say, we will never recoup the money. We need to stop. Right. Because th eventually some projects do reach that point and it's unfortunate, but sometimes, you know, it needs to happen and you need to pull the plug on something that's not going to work. Again, larger companies, when that's when that team is part of a larger group, you can you can make that sacrifice. And it really, really sucks for the people who don't get to have their work shown off. That's uh, that's a tragic 
you know, part of the industry that some people have spent, you know, months or years working on something that is just never going to see the light of day. But the plug gets pulled all the time in different circumstances. And better management allows you to avoid that. When you have a small team, your manager is often your chief engineer, your lead writer, your designer, all three. It can be any number of things. And so you don't necessarily have that kind of flexibility or that knowledge base to make uh, those promises. So it's a very, very tricky business. Um, On the other hand, you do often see, like you said, groups that are trying to gauge interest for things that would otherwise be considered a bit risky, but still that, but they might publish anyway. You look at things like Little Witch Academia or Wakfu, uh, Little Witch Academia more so because that was coming from a very, you know, from a very respected studio. Wakfu was a bit more of a risk, I think, just because it was a, it was pretty much unknown outside of its, uh, outside of Europe. From what I understand, I could be mistaken. Maybe it got a broader, uh, release than I was expecting at some point um, before it got the dub, but uh, that was definitely a risk. Like they weren't sure that that was going to have uh, going to have a broad appeal, and the uh, Kickstarter definitely helped show that it did. That people wanted this, that there was an audience for it, and so they were able to adjust their marketing and their development accordingly. Um, you see similar things uh, with other shows and games, but you don't see that as much with the. Um, you know, I've said, as I've said before, I'm mainly in it for like the miniatures and the board games and those kinds of things. Those things are often a little bit more uh, closer to the first category you described, Scott, where it's like this probably wouldn't get made otherwise or would need to go through the rigorous process of trying to get picked up by Wizards of the Coast or one of the major board game manufacturers or someone. And that is just a winnowing process that a lot of people do not have uh, the time for because they're doing this while they have, you know, other jobs in life and whatnot. Mm. So. Wow, that's really interesting stuff. Thank you, Dan. Um, So just from an opinion perspective, I am in the camp where I don't like funding a game, and I don't mean a board game or a D&D tabletop that comes with miniatures. I'm talking about uh, an actual video game, so something you would buy on Steam or otherwise. I'm not a fan. And yes, Mighty Number 9 burned me, but on the whole, I, I tend to feel like these things are created by people with a twinkle in their eye, and especially with the big push now for, I guess, resurgence, I shouldn't say push, for retro gaming, right? I mean, how many, I, I, if I had a nickel for every time I saw inspired by Final Fantasy 1 and 2, like, I would, mm-hmm. you know, have all, I would have all the nickels, let's put it that way. Um, so, I, I think... A lot of people go into games with this idea that I love games and, you know, I can code a little and I've, I've got some friends who can make a sprite, you know, some sprites and whatever, we'll figure this out and nothing manifests from it. Nothing against people who have retro games kickstart, you know, a project that they're trying to get funded. But more often than not, I'm under the impression that you really don't know that this is going to make it. And as Scott and Dan have reiterated, you can't give me half a game, so you're going to give me nothing. And you're you're not convincing me enough that you have what it takes to give me the whole package. So I shy away from those a lot. I'm also not as patient as you guys. Uh, if something was not delivered to me within three years, like, uh, Scott, I'm sorry, what was that sprite game that looked really good? Um, the one, you're, you're the girl. 
and you're in a hood and oh heartforth alicia heartforth alicia yeah, yeah, I've got some things to say about Hardforth Alicia. Yeah, so ahead, something sorry. like that. I mean, even though it looks fantastic, because I remember you had showed it to me, Scott, and it looks beautiful, but I would not wait that long. My patience would completely run out, and that's fine. That's just, you know, my personality. But if you claim you're going to make something, I understand games take a long time to make, That that's not a proper margin, that you should have put a, put a Kickstarter together. I'm sorry. Like, a year, maybe two, and okay that's fine but if you didn't have a project that could have been cranked out given the normal hiccups dan spoke about with you know losing a person to illness or something like that you didn't have a project that should have gone through i'm sorry but that's just how it rolls in in my book um on the anime front i'm in i'm actually in the opposite direction if it's something funded by a bigger name studio i i do fund it um so i funded escaflone i funded aria and i funded emma and I'm thrilled. I got all of Aria recently. Nice. Um, I'm thrilled. I'm really thrilled. I haven't gotten a chance to watch the new dub of it, but I'm so excited for the Emma one because I've been saying for ages that it needs a proper British dub. Like, if only it had, like, a beautiful Downton Abbey dub, and now it's going to, and I'm so excited. Oh, that's exciting. It really is the only way that I get anime or anything like that on physical media anymore anyway, so... Yeah, so I'm thrilled for that kind of stuff. And the way I think about it is it could be falling into Scott's third category, the cynic, where it's Funimation maybe had the money to put a dub together and is just making me pay money for these box sets. But first of all, I get the whole show on box set in a special box that only the Kickstarter backers get. That's kind of cool. And um, I don't think being an anime company uh, i guess a company that licenses and brings anime here to america is a profit-making business i think it's extremely hard in general to to make money in this industry so okay you made a couple more thousand dollars to get this dub to happen i don't care you're bringing you're a company that brings anime to america for me to enjoy i'm gonna fund you so unless you know funimations like got child labor or something and someone please tell me that if they do. Um, I, I'm going to fund it because I'm excited for that kind of stuff. So, too bad. Oh, gotcha. Uh, in that case, uh, wait, let's let's actually get to that numbers part a little bit. Uh, like, I wanted to start with uh, with games, actually, like going back a little bit to when we talk about games. And I think one of the problems is, yeah, like most new developers, and you've mentioned, like you said, they've got a twinkle in their eyes and they know how to code a little bit. They don't have the slightest idea how expensive and time-consuming it is to make a game. Uh, none of the games I've funded have ever been on time, most of them by years. And the failures were generally by people that wildly underestimated the cost. So take, and I've mentioned it before, You Are Not the Hero. So it's a solo developer. They asked for $12,000, and they actually got $90,000 from the Kickstarter. And at this point, it is pretty clear that this game is dead in the water. All the money is gone. There hasn't been an update in two years. Uh, the Mandate, which we've mentioned repeatedly is probably the one that rankles the most. So this was a reasonable $500,000 goal, and they received $700,000, and had a team of veterans that had made games before. Now, it was a very ambitious concept, but they had a lot of good ideas, they had the experience, and I think the idea is they're not going to fund it all through Kickstarter. Surely they'll find a publisher or something and get additional funding. Instead, they spent all of that $700,000 in two years, and then that was it. Almost everyone that was there that's still in games is in, is with a real game company making games somewhere else. 
so essentially in the end, all of the backers kind of funded a job skills course for those people. Uh, now it's this, this isn't to say that there aren't success stories. So Indivisible, which is by a team that had already made a successful game, they asked upfront for $1.5 million. They made a little over $2 million and they were under no illusions that this was anything more than a down payment. At the time they began the Kickstarter, they had backing from a game publisher for another $2 million if they succeeded at the Kickstarter. So like they knew what it costs to make a game of the type they were making. Uh, now, there are exceptions. I've mentioned Heartforth Alicia. They asked for 60 k They got 232 k which is great. The game is now five years late. But they are still working on it. They give updates with visible progress. And honestly, it actually seems that they're pretty close to release as of this, you know, this taping. Uh, but they are almost certainly using their own money or they have a publisher at this point. Like there's no way the money from the Kickstarter is left. Uh, the very rare example of a, I don't know, positive one is uh, CL Fledge. Their team had already made a game. They had a working demo. They basically wanted $3,000 to finish, improve, and add music to it. They got the money, they delivered the game, and the game is fun. So you know what? Thumbs up, Studio Namapa. Like, you guys did it. You're the you're the success story. Nice. Good job, Scott. Paying attention to all them numbers. Yeah, and so I think to follow on to what Dan said, if you're gonna if you still think that you want to fund a game on Kickstarter but are worried about how to do it, I don't know, as a smart consumer, I highly recommend checking whether they have a demo already. And I think like I said at this point that might be required. Whether their team has made a game before. And also whether they're expecting Kickstarter to cover everything or realistic about it just being another source of funding because Kickstarter is not going to get you all the way with rare exceptions. Uh, also in general for Kickstarter, watch out for any campaign where the stretch goals add a lot more work to the product. Oh yeah. Mighty number nine. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Or like it could put the creator on the hook for more than they can realistically handle and then they're going to burn out when they try. Like, I don't know, I always think of like, let's say you're going to fund someone's webcomic or something. And they're like, I want money to make two comics a, a week or something. But for a stretch goal, if we make, I don't know, a zillion dollars, I'll make five a week. It's like, well, you're still one person. It's just going to be five lower quality comics or you're not going to make it. Like, watch out for those stretch goals that don't seem realistic. Yeah, I think that's some mm. pretty great advice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, anime, for me, actually has been a little more mixed. Uh for me, it feels, at least for the ones that I've funded, like Kickstarter is being used to defray the costs rather than produce necessarily new anime. Uh, with Little Witch Academia 2 standing out as the like the exception, the success. Like I'm willing to believe that $150,000, which was their initial goal, can produce 15 minutes of animation, which was their stated goal. Uh, so that seemed like it worked out pretty well. Where like, under the Dog, by contrast, is kind of like the loser here. It, it was a new animation funded by Kickstarter. It looks nice, but the feeling you get from watching it is someone just wanted to see if Kickstarter would be a viable model to make anime with, rather than I'm going to make a cool anime and Kickstarter's my vehicle. It was sort of like a test run for Kickstarter as a concept for them. Do you remember how much they asked for, Scott? Because I also backed this one. And I, I agree with you. Yeah, they they got they asked for five eighty and they got eight hundred and seventy eight k, and it was a thirty minute runtime. Okay. All right. Yeah, I really can't say anything to that one. I backed it because it was uh, 
was it Yusuke Kozaki, and I love his character art from Fire Emblem Awakening. So I have a completely superficial reason. Let's be real. That's fine. And like in my case, I was like, hey, they're making like legitimately new anime is being funded by us. It seemed like a good, good thing to try. Uh, now, as a side note, I'm actually finally out of numbers, but I do want to say that Kickstarter seems to me like the perfect platform for books. Every book I funded was a success. No fuss. Like, great. Now, Scott, graphic novels or novels? Um, so it's a mixture. Golden Sky Stories, the RPG, which I'm kind of calling a book. Um, Cucumber Quest, which was basically a webcomic bound into a book. Sam and Fuzzy, another webcomic bound into a book. And uh, Let's Speak English, a webcomic bound into a book. Golden so, Sky Stories is a translation, right? It is a. That's true. It's also a translation project. But in all of those cases, like they asked for X amount and then they got it probably because it was kind of a known quantity, right? Like you've already produced the webcomic. You just want to give it to a publisher, bind it, and make a book out of it. The thing is made. You're just putting it in a format. Yeah, that's a known format. If they make their goal, you're probably going to get what you want. So books seem like a good fit for Kickstarter. Yeah, I I could see that. I guess the only thing I challenge you with is it sounds like uh, that also falls into the vein of like it it should have been finished already. Like if if you're just starting a webcomic and you're trying to kickstarter it for some reason, I don't know, you're like I'm going to quit my job and make this webcomic. That, that's what you go to Patreon for. That's true. Patreon is definitely a better model for that now. Like Kickstarter for the ongoing project. Yeah, cuz Kickstarter you don't get more money once it's over. So, unless someone's going to say I want to produce, I don't know, a graphic novel with a defined endpoint and here's I need this much money to make it. Yeah, I don't think it's a good model. Yeah, I agree. I think there's a lot of uncertainty on on that end. Um, I also think just, this is going to sound a little uppity, but shame on the people who put pressure on anyone who's got a Kickstarter to make some of those stretch goals that Scott mentioned. Um, just because the, the project gets, you know, 150% funded, that's not the fault of the person who made the Kickstarter. Maybe it is a little because they underestimated or something, but they, that doesn't magically multiply them in a machine and make 10 of them. So now their stretch goals should be something out of this world. And I, I have seen cases of, of people who get really angry um, for projects I've, I've funded that I'll see in the commentary. They're like, what are you doing with all that, that extra? Like, what are you giving us? And... I just, I don't know. I feel like that that's a little much and it starts to unravel projects uh, or really, really cause a lot of strain that can be damaging. So. Hmm. It's some sort of mixed on that. Like, I think, let's say you had a project for, I don't know, 50 bucks and it got funded at a hundred bucks. The fact that he got 50 more bucks, well, that just means that a bunch of people are going to get more rewards at whatever level it was. And he's going to have some leftover profit maybe. But if he said, like, hey, if you give me 75, they're going to be hardcover. And if you give me 100, it's going to be, I don't know, covered in gold leaf and come with an audiobook. Like, the fact that they created those stretch goals means that they're sort of like, they're they're egging, not egging on, but like, they're enticing people to donate more. So I guess what I'm saying is, I don't mind if a campaign gets overfunded. Great. More for everyone. But if there are stretch goals that were defined... And then you fund it and you get the stretch goals and they can't deliver on them. I don't know. I understand the frustration, I guess. Yes, it's bad to 
yell at them until the whole thing falls apart. But I guess if, you know, to creators out there, don't define stretch goals you're not comfortable meeting. Just take the extra profit if you get extra. That's where I was going. And yeah, I agree with you. What I was saying was they didn't have those stretch goals in mind. They didn't realize they were going to get funded 200%. And now people are saying, hey, create stretch goals now. You have all this extra money. Make me something else. That's that's what I've seen. I've seen that happen. Because people are like, well, you got funded at way yeah, over 100%. Yeah, that's just entitlement at that point. Yeah. Get, make me something else. Like, there should be something else. What are you doing with all of that? Almost as though, like, they they feel as though those people robbed them of something. And, and that is very frustrating because I think that's just ridiculous. Yeah, that seems like much more a flaw with the audience. Yeah, like, I mean, I, it must be like, you know, it's weird, right? Every person only put in as much as they put in. I put in 20 bucks, let's say, and I expected to get a book. But I'm sure it's human nature to look at that big number. Oh, man, they got whatever, $600,000, and they're only asking for 50. It's almost like I wish I had five hundred and five fifty thousand extra dollars, uh, and therefore I feel like I'm entitled to more. But no, it's really just lots more people put in twenty dollars because they wanted a book. Like precisely, that's what it was. So yeah, yep. So that's that's really where I sit with that one. Um, Brendan, I want to give you the floor for a sec. We had had a conversation one time about your opinion on I'll just throw out like Funimation and them doing like the Escaflone dub or the the uh, aria dub and you weren't that big a fan of it so i wanted to give you the floor just to talk about why you don't like it kind of what what your thoughts were with that that's going a ways back sue it is going a ways i remember everything be careful <laughs> i don't know i've i've i'm i'm much more sympathetic to your viewpoint on that like like as time has gone by and especially now that you've talked it out like trying to trying to gatekeep like which anime publishers are more niche than the other ones at this point, considering that they're all a pretty niche like slice of American culture. Uh, I did back Aria and Emma, uh, though I was not part of the uh, Kickstarter for the Escaflone redub, just because at the time I was wary that Funimation as a significantly larger you know, company than uh, right stuff would have had you know, the resources to produce this thing if they thought that it needed to be done. Oh, so sort of like the third group, like companies right, cynically was, getting more money, kind of. Right. I was I wasn't sure that that's not what was happening. So I, I mean, I did eventually buy you know the Blu-ray box. I'm sure it's not as cool as the box that came in for you, but I don't know. I've it, like that's that's just one that I felt unsure about. And, you know, if I had the opportunity to do it, do it again, I uh, prob- probably would. Hmm. Okay, that totally makes sense. I was just curious on remembering your viewpoint, because it, it is totally valid. And I could understand people being in your, your boat from then, too. Like, hey, don't you have the funds for this? Do it yourself. Like, this is a much more popular property, probably. You know, it's got a lot of diehard fans that have existed for however many years it was at that time. Totally makes sense. Totally does. But it is a lot of work to go through to repackage it. So, like, it, mm. it's true. Yeah, we really didn't give a lot to to the anime side. It's not, you know, nothing to sneer at to, uh, 
you know, have to repackage this, redub it, resync it, put it into um, a nice box. It that that's all hard work too, and it's it's never as cheap as you think it is. Yeah, that'd be interesting. Like I had the numbers on the overall campaigns, but it'd be interesting. Like if you could like look inside Funimation's books and see how they did on the Escafone dub project, you know, what, what would we find? Yeah, that would be interesting to understand, you know, if, if those numbers are inflated just to, I guess, make some sort of profit, but, hmm. Questions, questions. All right, so let's end with a secret question from yours question. truly. All right, so I hope this question is, is fun. It- is it Brendan? When are you going to give me that physical copy of Indivisible that I promised you? Brendan, when are you going to give me that? No, no, it's not. Um, so my my fun question, which I've been tossing around for a while with Kickstarter, uh, I need you three to attempt to explain to me why every dice project under the sun gets funded and don't not just funded, funded at like two hundred and fifty percent now. I'm not an idiot. I understand math. And if you choose a very low number as your goal and you get way over that, you get a large percentage. I get that. So I'm not like totally leaning hard into that. I'm just saying they're all funded. Okay. And I'm just going to toss something out there just for the heck of it. I went to look at dice projects. There's one called Household Chores, the dice game. It's dice with household chores on them. Somehow that's been turned into a game and it's 220% funded, guys. 220% funded. Ocean Adventures, which are these like weird looking dice. Who knows if they're balanced or not? They have fishies in them? Question mark. 151% funded. (laughs) You three, explain to me how the dice keeps getting funded. Is the answer just that everyone on Earth is Dan and they have a problem with (laughs) dice? Because that's what I'm leaning into. I'm sure that's a lot of it. There's, there's a lot of memes about, you know, D&D players and all the different kind of dice they get. Mm-hmm. But they don't need household chore dice, Brendan. Why? Oh, this, ooh, okay. Yeah. That one yeah, I right. do not, that one I do not pretend to understand. I think a lot of it is like, you know, dice are nice because they're, they're small. They're, uh, unlike miniatures, you don't have to put any extra work into them after the fact. You can display them or, you know, pack them away. They're tiny. They're easy to ship. They're easy to store. They're just kind of that perfect little knickknack for nerdy people. And so I think that's one of the reasons why, you know, and, and like a nice dice set is, you know, it feels good to have. It has a tactile, uh, it's like a like a really nice pack of cards. It's the same thing. It's got a tactile uh, pleasantness to it. So I think that's one of the reasons that they're so popular. Why they end up so overfunded, I think, is what what you said. They probably aim relatively low and then count on the, you know, the... Um, production being large enough to make up any difference so i don't know it's i think it's just uh yeah just a matter of easy easy to easy to relatively easy to make easy to ship and fun to have without being too obnoxious yeah i'm probably gonna comment on dan's like last point there uh in this digital age where all of us are separated from each other etc etc it's nice to have something made with quality craftsmanship that you can hold in your hand. And dice are that. And occasionally step on. And occasionally step on and hurt a great deal if it's a D4. Just a great deal. <sighs> I hate yeah, D4s. Why? Simply the worst. Yeah. Okay. Fine. 
like I understand the appeal of a highly craftsman stone dice or like dice made out of metal or whatever. Yeah, it is. and those are okay. I mean, first of all, I I would be a little iffy because I'm not entirely sure. I mean, I'm sure these can be made in machines and stuff but for a hobbyist oh, yeah, cnc machines right absolutely. cnc machines but are they well balanced dice cnc lets you make it like pretty precisely i guess as long as the material is uniform like a metal or something it's probably going to be balanced making it out of stone that's probably a little iffy honestly. right exactly so that would get a little uh, dicey yes nailed, ah. nailed it um, I feel like a lot of those eh. are just being made for the presentation, though. And if you use them in gameplay, it's like no one's assuming that they're going to be perfectly balanced. Listen, Dan, I know that you cheat with your owl paladin using your moon rock <laughs> dice, okay? But the rest of us maybe want balanced dice. That is a blessing, not cheating. <laughs> oh. Says Dan as he adjusts his elaborate, like, magnet setup in his room. Yeah. <laughs> subtly influence his like whatever iron dice to always point upwards gotta get that feng shui good gracious okay well that was my challenge question just for fun i always just giggle to myself by the way if we make con artist swag we're making dice because it will be funded baby guaranteed of course. oh yes um so i just i laugh every time like you can go in there and look at any type of dice you want and it's funded to the hilt and i'm like what is it with people in the dice? I guess I'm just, I'm too minimalist and I, I never really got into D&D <laughs> shock and all. Um, so I I get it. Like I have dice for D&D if I were ever to play with a group, but that's about it. Um, otherwise, I just think they're kind of an eyesore. And like you guys said, if they were to get out and fall all over the place, I'd hurt my feet. So interesting, interesting. Okay, well. Clearly, this is like an anime type, like dice or a man's romance. <laughs> oh my goodness, yes. Dice or a nerd's romance. That's the other bumper sticker go. we're going to make. <laughs> Come to the card artist, it's giving you fine Lucky Star references in the year 2020. There we go. There we go. Everyone look forward <laughs> to our swag. We'll start a Kickstarter. <laughs> it won't make any sense. Fund us. Buy all our play sets and toys. Yes, yes. Call talk about callbacks. All right, all right. Well, this was fun. Do you guys have anything else you want to add? I think that wraps it up for me. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, um, good luck to everyone with whatever your kickstartering. And uh, here's to hoping that more great kickstarters get made. I really have nothing against the platform for all of my you know, curmudgeonliness earlier in the cast. I just, I do think there needs to be gatekeeping in place and, um, you know, crowdfunding is, is you're taking a gamble on any, on a creative venture. So I guess be careful, be mindful, especially with games. Uh, and yeah, hopefully you guys fund something cool and we'd love to hear about it. All right. Bye everyone. Catch you later. Bye people. See ya. This is a podcast by the con artists. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe to us on iTunes or your Android podcast app of choice. For more anime and game related content, please visit us online at theconartistsblog.com. Thanks for listening.